Hey everyone, I'm your host Tom Shaughnessy and welcome back to Chain Reaction, a research-driven podcast that's a part of Delphi Digital. If you're not on Delphi's research portal, you're missing out on the critical analysis read by the top minds in the crypto space, so be sure to check it out. One quick housekeeping item, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. Also, all advertisements and podcast sponsors are strictly for informational purposes only and not endorsements of any products or services. I may personally hold tokens mentioned on the podcast, and you can view our show notes below for our complete disclosures. Hey guys, I want to tell you again about Alto IRA. For the first time ever, you can invest in cryptocurrency with tax-advantaged retirement funds directly on the Coinbase exchange through Alto. With an Alto Crypto IRA, a traditional Roth or SEP IRA account is created specifically for cryptocurrency investments. You can buy, sell, and hold every crypto available on Coinbase. It's easy to open a funded account, and you could do so by visiting altoira.com slash chainreaction. With that, let's jump into the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to have on Peter Morick, who's head of public affairs at Parity. They're helping deliver Polkadot and Kusama. Peter, how's it going? Doing well, Tom. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on on uh, such short notice. Absolutely. Hope you're doing well So, Peter, well you told there. me that you destroyed your toe right before you came on. What happened to that? I need to hear the full story. Oh, yeah. Well, I have this gorgeous glass coffee table um, and in my uh, preparation last night, I was pacing around as I do, and uh, I clipped my my baby toe, and the webbing between your my toes is completely split wide open. So, if anyone oh. out there has any tips on how to take Ew. care of this, uh, I'd really appreciate it because I don't know if you can <laughs> stitch together your toe webbing. So it's packed full of gauze, and I'm playing through the pain. God, I feel like you have to like tape your toes together or something. I don't I don't even know. I've got like three socks on over it right now and it doesn't look very good. Can't fit any oh. of my shoes. It's a whole thing. But Jeez, well, thanks for coming on though. I'll persevere. Totally. <laughs> so Peter, I've obviously been covering you guys for a while at Delphi and, and with Ethereum and you know, Polkadot, Kusama have all come up, especially with Parity. And you know, I've always felt that it was either people really didn't understand what you guys were doing or, or maybe they just didn't fully grasp it. But now you guys are full steam ahead, Kusama launched, Polkadot V1 launched. I think it'd be worth it just to go into a quick little educational convo on on what exactly Kusama and Polkadot is. Totally. What do you want to know? That's a good question. Um, We can start start from the top. I guess. Yeah, let's start from the top. Let's start with the vision of Polkadot. Sure. So Polkadot is a blockchain protocol that was founded by Dr. Gavin Wood, Robert Habermeyer and Peter Chaban uh, in 2016, uh, soon after Gav left the Ethereum Foundation, where he had spent uh, the previous two, three years building and delivering uh, Ethereum 1.0 as its CTO and one of its co-founders. There was some divergence in the discussions around what Ethereum 2.0 was going to look like between Gav and Vitalik at the time. Gav wrote this blog post people can, can look up for uh, for the Ethereum blog called Chain Fibers Redux, where he starts to lay out what his vision for how Ethereum 2.0 would work, um, this, this concept of sharding and how a sharded protocol should be uh, built and developed. Um, and there was some divergence there. And, and I think that Gav and, and his core developer team, a lot of really high quality C++ and uh, Rust developers, uh, felt that there wasn't enough movement quickly towards Ethereum 2.0. So they decided to uh, push forward with a protocol that would potentially uh, fill some of the holes, the, some of the some of the uh, technical and uh, theoretical advances that Ethereum 2.0 wasn't necessarily going to, to, to strive for, but also then obviously be interoperable with Ethereum 2.0 down the line. So Polkadot started off as that vision. It evolved from there. Um, and it has since launched last week. Um, it is a, in its earliest stage, a proof of authority network, um, but it will 
over the next uh, several months evolve to a full-fledged uh, blockchain protocol, um, similar to how we've seen Kusama evolve over the uh, last uh, six months or so. I can chat a bit about Kusama as well, um, but first I'll just I'll leave it at that for now on Polkadot. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you bring up Gav versus Vitalik you know, years ago on having divergent visions. I mean, you have two super smart people looking years ahead on something that isn't even built yet. It's just crazy that they had different visions, you know, way back then when, you know, now even Ethereum, you know, when you look to Ethereum 2.0, it's not even fully, you know, fledged out. I mean, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying that, you know, these things have really short timelines on, on, uh, and rapid changes, but to see ahead that far and have different visions is somewhat remarkable when you kind of think about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a definitely seems it's an interesting headspace to be that far in the future uh, trying to plan. And it's not an easy task, needless to say. The fact that Ethereum 1.0 has been as successful as it has been, I don't want to say it's a fluke, but it's, it's, there's a lot of factors involved. And uh, to be able to, to design and execute on something like the, I'm talking about like the technical implementation of Ethereum 1.0 is, it was an, an incredible feat at the time. Obviously, Gav took a lot of this just the general concepts that Vitalik presented in the white paper and really uh, formalized them in the yellow paper. He invented the Ethereum virtual machine and Solidity, which are really those two key pieces of that puzzle to make it all work. So the fact that like those two came together, the idea and then the, the execution and like actually the technical uh, uh, underpinning for the protocol happened was really, really uh, it, it was a little bit uh, serendipitous, I guess, at the time for the, that, that all to come together. And now we'll see, right? Like Ethereum 2.0, obviously more a little bit more of a research-driven project. The de- developers aren't necessarily uh, in charge, so to speak. And Polkadot, definitely a developer-driven project where um, you re- write code first and then uh, research fills in the holes. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, definitely two different approaches for sure. And, you know, the other thing was, you know, a year or two ago, I always thought that, you know, Polkadot is late. And now I'm kind of thinking about it. You guys just launched your, you know, V1 of your kind of main net for Polkadot. It's going to be, you know, several rollouts right now as proof of authority, as you mentioned. But it's kind of like a similar timeline to ETH 2.0, right? Like, I mean, you guys are you guys are both kind of in the race here. And it kind of seems like it's somewhat it's- of a similar timeline. It's not that far off. Uh, obviously, there's no promises in software development. Uh, software developers were the first to tell you uh, when that when you ask them for a date, the delivery date, they'll say soon. You know, it's almost a meme at this point uh, <laughs> in crypto. But that said, the Polkadot technology, the the technology that this this chain that we launched last week is running on, has been live in the wild since last August in the form of Kusama. So I think it's probably a good opportunity to chat about what the heck Kusama is. People say, is this a test net? And I say, ah, not really. It could be used for that, <laughs> but it is certainly meant to be quite a lot more. It is uh, Gav, again, branding uh, or coming coming up with new terms and concepts on a regular basis in the space, uh, branded uh, Kusama a canary network, meaning, you know, the phrase, um, the canary in the coal mine. So, oh, yeah. Back in the day, before the advent of more advanced sensor gas sensor technologies, miners would take little cute little yellow birdies down into the coal mines with them, so that if some noxious gases came up uh, that was potentially harmful to, to them, the bird would start flapping a lot or potentially keel over and die before the the miners. In a similar sense, Kusama was launched in August of last year to give us a, a, a canary for the polka dot technology to harden it to prove some of the economic assumptions that were made in uh, the proof of stake system and it is going to it's it's not going to go anywhere as long as people find it useful so it's making this sort of shift from a pure canary net to actually something you might think of more of like um the minor leagues for polka dot so there's lower barrier to entries across the board. Obviously, the security is also a little bit lower. The governance moves a lot faster, so upgrades happen much more quickly than they will on Polkadot. So you can imagine that Kusama is like a minor leagues where you can go and really iterate and move fast and build things, uh, really exciting, innovative things in a short, compressed time period. Um, and then once you prove their worth and prove that they work, you can uh, upgrade basically to become a full-fledged polka dot project where 
things are probably a little bit more uh, secure, obviously, large, very large economic security, um, and also a little bit more conservative in terms of how often governance upgrades ha- or how often upgrades to the chain happen and which chains get implemented. So um, it's really excited to see how the sort of partnership between these two chains uh, plays out in the long term and which projects maybe feel it's just fine to stay on Kusama because they don't need 100% uptime, all that really robust bank-like security. They can just sort of move fast and break things. Whereas more enterprise production level implementations of supply chains obviously will want to be on Polkadot as a parachain because that is a much more robust security base. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. It's pretty interesting. I mean, I guess you can't get mad at people for thinking of Kusama as a testnet, but on the flip side, Kusama has its own token, whereas testnets on other layer ones don't, right? I would say that's like, that's a very big differentiator, right? So in a regular testnet, you can just like tweet at someone and say, send me a hundred tokens, and then like they'll just mint them and send them to you to test stuff out. Kusama has a testnet, right? West End, we launched uh, a couple weeks ago. It's going to serve as the testnet for uh, for Kusama. So it, <laughs> when was the last time you heard of a testnet having a testnet? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. And the other, th- so, so people have real economic skin in the game for a testnet. I guess the devil's advocate question for you is though is, are developers really able to try everything on Kusama if there's an economic cost to each attempt? Or is that a stupid question? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously, the, the again, the, the barrier to entry is lower on Kusama across the board. So maybe there will be things that are actually tested in a test in, in, in West End, in an actual like test net environment. But you see a lot of, um, this is one of the, the really important pieces of why Ethereum has been successful because it is relatively simple to actually launch and test your tool, your app on Ethereum mainnet, right? It, it, you, you, can, you can run it through the paces depending on what you're building, the gas fees at the time. It isn't necessarily very difficult to or, or expensive to, to run those tests on Ethereum mainnet. In the case of uh, Polkadot and Kusama, I think that Kusama is really going to serve that sort of quicker, easier, faster way to do things. But of course, also, right, like people could very, very easily see uh, a use case for wanting to test out something on Polkadot mainnet as well. So there's, like you said, so many options. And I think that's a big part of it, right? Giving developers the options to uh, fill their needs. And then really this this idea of having a uh, a more thought out, robust upgrade path where you can start in an actual testnet like West End uh, upgrade to Kusama where there's a lower barrier to entry, but it also has the same uh, economic assumptions as Polkadot mainnet, prove that the thing works. And then if it actually needs to to, to step up to the big lead, league, so to speak, you'll know that the thing is ready for the big leagues. Yeah, that's a cool process you got there. Multiple different uh, basically bug bounty programs, different layers. I guess the other thing is, what can Kusama do compared to Polkadot? Like, is Kusama comparable to what you guys just launched on Polkadot, or is yes. Kusama more full-fledged? What is it? So Kusama, a couple things. Kusama's governance uh, referenda cycle uh, is about four times faster than Polkadot's. So there, this will be the place where all the latest, greatest technology, both developed by Parity from the Web3 Foundation or other folks building in the Polkadot ecosystem, like generally the latest, greatest stuff is going to go to Kusama first to serve this, like prove the worth, prove it works before it even, even gets to Polkadot mainnet. And maybe Polkadot what's the, mainnet what's the won't time actually on that adopt it. Hmm? Not to interrupt you, but what's the time on that? Like, is it weeks or, or months? What's what's the governance turnaround time on Kusama? It's pretty rapid. I think it's... Um, around a week because i think it's 28 days for an enactment oh, wow. period on polka dot so you can be pushing uh, and it's like i uh, we, we we do admit that uh some of the uh staking uh infrastructure providers are tend to get a little bit uh upset sometimes when gav pushes uh, five <laughs> six seven upgrades to the chain in a short period of time uh, but that's what it's for right like we need to move fast and and we're developers first we're developer focused and developers need this space to really prove what the, the code that they're writing is is ready to run in the wild um so it's a lot quicker like you said than uh than polka dot um, which will mean that it gets that technology faster 
Um, and it, there's, there's a potential for like, you know, Kusama to diverge from Polkadot further in the future. There's feature sets that maybe the Polkadot dot holder community doesn't need or really want, but the Kusama community does. And it, it, it could very well live on Kusama and not make it to Polkadot for a while, right? So there's a lot of options there on both sides. So I'm very interested to see if these chains stay very, very close to each other or get a little bit more divergent. Because you can also think about like the use cases, right? Like different use cases don't necessarily need to be in a in a super robust environment like that. So uh, maybe they need different features that are a little bit different than Polkadot. So we're, we're excited to see how it turns out. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what do you think, though, culturally? Like, do you think that Kusama will be, you know, a test bed for some, you know, social leader to take Polkadot in a different direction? Or do you really view it as this test net where things get tried out? I know you don't know the, you know, the answer right now, but I guess what would you think? Someone future? said the other day, and I really liked it, it was not exactly on point, but they described Kusama as like a black hat network for Polkadot. Like the hackers, the hardcore devs, the people who want to be in this really exciting, uh, fast-paced development environment are going to really love Kusama. Um, it's going to fill those needs, but yeah, you know, like I said, it does have a fairly different community than Polkadot's mainnet community, right? So all the what's, options. What's the difference, the though? Like, like is Kusama more technical and Dots more retail? Like, how, how do you think about the differences in these communities? Yeah, I would say like um, Kusama is where a lot of this innovation is going to happen first, right? So it's a lot of developers startups, tinkerers potentially, right? Like in a way that you, the way that you t- can tinker using Ethereum mainnet because it the, the barrier to entry is so low, you basically just need to learn solidity. Like those types of devs will potentially find Kusama a, a very attractive entry point. Polkadot, on the other hand, is built to host and connect really, really robust production grade implementations of whatever internet service you might need. So major enterprises, major um, uh, larger scale companies will obviously tend to uh, shift to or, or, or prefer to, 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 or not even just prefer, they will de facto deploy on Polkadot because of those higher security guarantees. And uh, yeah, it'll, it sh- it sh- it'll be an interesting sort of mix and see how they, they fall uh, together. But yeah, because it, again, because Kusama launched already and developers have their hands on it, um, they're all really excited about uh, what they're going to be able to do with it. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. And I mean, you, you guys launched Polkadot V1 on May 26th, like you said, Proof authority, basically you could claim tokens and stake and stuff like that. When do we when do you get to a point where you know you have applications built on this or you have governance taking place or you know core functionality? Like what's the roadmap there? Like how do you think through that timeline and that functionality? Sure. So the big the big thing that everyone points to, like uh, the technological step that everyone points to to be able to really start to see the promise of Polkadot in action is when parachains start to get deployed. So we're I'll, I'll just go through a little bit of what the launch process looks like. Obviously, like you said, we, we launched uh, last Tuesday, um, and there's five or six phases to the launch. And I we can we can put a, a link in the show notes to the this full process, but. Uh, we're in proof of authority right now. So the Web3 Foundation is running authority nodes just to ensure that A, the, the, the chain candidate is stable and B, give staking providers or people who want to stake the opportunity to signal their intent to validate on the network when it shifts to proof of stake. So uh, I think we need something around 50 well-backed, meaning they also have nominators uh, nominating their their stake to the validator. Once we have fifty or so of them, we will be able to shift the network into nominated proof of stake, where the validation is no longer being done exclusively by the Web three Foundation. And now, then the uh, staking providers come on board and and start to run the network in a uh, in a 
global community of, of validators. So we saw this all happen on Kusama last year. We know this process works. A couple of other protocols that are launching right now are actually using the same process, interestingly enough. Um, so once that happens, then we can sh start to layer on additional governance functionality. Um, at once governance functionality is layered on, at some point, the dot holder community will hold a vote to enable transfers. And then once that happens, um, it's up to governance to uh, up to governance, meaning it's up to the, the dot holding community to uh, vote in favor of adding parachain functionality to Polkadot. And that's when everything really gets, quote unquote, turned on. And but like I said, it's likely that Kusama will have parachains before Polkadot, so we'll already be able to see what those things look like. And then once uh, once everyone in the dot holding community sees what's happened on Kusama and say, "All right, this the parachain implementation and Cumulus, this uh, soft piece of software or uh, set of software that you need to connect parachains to Polkadot," once everyone's sure that it is robust and secure, then the dot holder community will vote to uh, add. Po parachain functionality to Polkadot, and then we'll really see what this thing can do. Yeah, geez, it's. Uh, I'm glad you have the whole timeline down pat. It's hard yeah, to get it yeah, all out in one. Yeah, thing. and it's so okay, that was the the last point. Is um, so people always ask like, how much time is there between phases? It depends on a couple things. It depends on a the stability of the tech. If there's fixes that need to be made, that's potentially unforeseen and might add week here or there. Um, but some phases might be as, as little as two weeks. Some might be as much as six weeks. But again, it depends on A, the tech, and B, um, the dot holding community. Because once we get past the NPOS phase, everything needs to be voted on and approved. And if for some reason the community doesn't want to make, a, make a, another step forward yet, then that's up to the community, right? It's really out of our hands. Yeah. I mean, at that point, though, that's the end of really the timeline. I mean, if the community is fine with what you guys have at that point, then it's, you know, moves your timeline up a little bit, right? Hey guys, I want to tell you again about Alto IRA. For the first time ever, you can invest in cryptocurrency with tax advantage retirement funds directly on the Coinbase exchange through Alto. With an Alto Crypto IRA, a traditional Roth or SEP IRA account is created specifically for cryptocurrency investments. You can buy, sell, and hold every crypto available on Coinbase. It's easy to open a funded account, and you could do so by visiting altoira.com slash chain reaction. I mean, from what you're saying on, on weeks here for each update, there's not that many here. So it doesn't sound like this is a multi-year process. Uh, to get through the launch timeline, no. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. So, you, so you're looking at, yeah, I mean, it just seems like, you know, like near launched, I believe in a similar fashion, like, the, you know, the near team controls yes. a bunch of the, the first nodes, same, same idea. But I mean, I don't know what their timeline is, but I mean, ETH 2.0, I think of as being like a two-year kind of period. This sounds like this is going to, you guys are aiming to get this all done within a year. Right. And then we start talking about Polkadot 2.0. Uh, <laughs> we didn't start talking about that yet, but or we, have, we haven't spoken about that yet. So when you look at Ethereum 2.0 versus Polkadot, they're both sharded protocols, meaning that they split the execution across many types of basically small blockchains that are connected to a coordinating chain. So in, in Polkadot's case, it's the relay chain. In Ethereum 2's case, it is the beacon chain. The main technical differentiator outside of governance, obviously, which is, I'd say a bit of a philosophical differentiator that is reflected heavily in the tech. Um, but the main difference just from an architecture standpoint is that every, you can own your own shard in Polkadot. And in Ethereum 2.0, it's still just this very general smart contract platform that's just sharded. Um, so this is what we call uh, heterogeneous sharding versus um, uh, Ethereum 2.0's homogeneous sharding. So being able to yeah. then move from Polkadot 1.0 to Polkadot 2.0 is basically being able to have your shard be its own mini Polkadot on Polkadot. So it's a nested relay chain. So you can shard your shard at the next iteration of Polkadot. So that's what we're looking at. If like down the line, like you're talking about Ethereum 2.0 being a two-year process to get from now, we're looking at sharded shards at that time. Wow. So I guess, I mean, the devil's advocates in the room will say, hey, you know, this is, there's so much engineering and technical work that goes into this. And a lot of the Ethereum devs, I think would, would say the same on, on Ethereum that, you know, a lot of design decisions you know, it just takes so much time. There's just so much unforeseen research and integration. Like it just takes longer than you think. Like, is there a difference with Polkadot where you guys 
already have a lot of this functionality built out or are these still, you know, design things that you guys have to work through? Like, how are you thinking yeah. about that though? Like, yeah. I'll make a couple points. One, like I said earlier, Gab's a dev. He, he, he understands research. He's a, has a PhD in computer science, but he's a dev first. So we write code and then the research backfills the code. Um, so things move a little bit differently than having to rely heavily on like a central ETH2 research team to like give a spec and then write to the spec. Our team also at Parity uh, is really, really, really phenomenal. We have, I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that we have a team that's probably built and launched more high use blockchain implementations than almost anyone else from Ethereum 1. We've done a Zcash node. We've built a Bitcoin node. We did the World Food Program's uh, uh, Building Blocks program, which is the most heavily used private enterprise chain implementation of Ethereum today. Um, so we really understand these these uh, distributed systems, and we have the best devs in the world, no doubt in my mind. I think there's maybe a thousand Rust developers in the whole world that are actually qualified to work on this level of of tech, and we have like I think a hundred plus of them now. Um, so we we have like a really really dope team that is pushing forward fast, and a lot of the Ethereum 2.0 teams. This is not not going to say it's their first uh, major chain implementation, but there's a lot of them, and they don't have that same learned experience from having done it a lot of times before. So, Peter, what's the Rust of, though? When you say you guys have like 10% of the Rust dev market share, what is the comparison there though? Is Ethereum 2.0 being built in Rust, or or what's the right. comparison? So Rust is the primary programming language that Parity Technologies uses for its its work. We, we employ primarily Rust and WebAssembly developers. Um, Rust is a evolved version of C++. So Gav, when and his team uh, building Ethereum 1.0, he was the lead of the C++ team and the C CTO. Rust is a souped up version. I, again, I'm not a, a dev myself, but it is no, an evolution of, of Rust that's have very, very fast, very performant, and very, very secure. Um, the devs like to say it's also very hard language to learn and get really good at. The devs like to say Rust is pain, um, but it makes you into a better dev. So I wouldn't say, again, we have like 10% of the share, but I think based on like how you look at how many of the developers in the world are really like Rust core devs, it's not a huge number. And we have a lot of really, really good ones. So Polkadot's initial the parity implementation of Polkadot will be in Rust. There'll also be a Go implementation. There'll also be a C++ implementation. And there will also be a Rust implementation of Ethereum 2.0. Until, until recently, we were actually working on one of the Rust implementations for Ethereum 2.0 until uh, deciding we weren't going to move forward with that. But I believe it's the Signum Prime team that's working on the current main Ethereum 2 Rust implementation. Um, but yeah, Rust is a difficult but highly performant language that um, that we focus on. It's interesting. That's interesting to hear. And the other question I had for you, I know we're talking about roadmaps. This might be a little unrelated, but I didn't want to forget it. When I used to follow you guys a year or two ago, I always compared Polkadot to Cosmos, right? Like Cosmos was for token transfers of value. And I always thought of Polkadot as more than that, you know, for data transfers right. and, and real communications, you guys have like morphed into, you know, now it's, you know, taking on Ethereum and others, but I'm, I'm still questioning, like Cosmos has a lot of like momentum around it, right? Like there's, I think there's over a hundred teams building on it. It's got a solid brand. Well, kind of, how do you think about you guys and Cosmos playing in the same sand playground yeah. or is it different playgrounds? Sure. I mean, I, I think we generally look at it as an apples to oranges comparison. The, the main, the initial point being that uh, Cosmos has no plans to, to be a sharded protocol. So it's not really in the same category. Cosmos is somewhere in like blockchain 2.5 land. Um, I think the easiest way to think about how Cosmos works is whereas Polkadot and Ethereum 2.0 are sharded protocols. Polkadot is a multi-chain because it can host multiple sharded chains. Cosmos is more like Ethereum 1.0 today. If you were to run a proof of authority sidechain on Ethereum and then bridge to Ethereum. So you could theoretically do almost anything you can do on Cosmos today on Ethereum 1. It's just whether or not you want proof of work or proof of stake. So Cosmos is sort of like, I, I guess you could say it's sort of like uh, side chains for Tendermint, um, which 
you could again do on Ethereum one today. Um, but the really the 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 push forward for Ethereum two and Polkadot is really to be able to to host like the next generation of of Web three protocols, Web three applications, and then hopefully be the the backbone to this 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 next phase of adoption of these technologies. Um, Cosmos is doing great stuff. Obviously, like there's going to be some use case for proof of stake sidechains within Cosmos. There would be use case for. Uh, teams that really only just want token swaps as as their use case or for to to fulfill their use case, um, but Polkadot obviously does that and more. Yeah, it's kind of I don't mean to I mean there's a lot that goes into Cosmos, but you know I'm going to gloss over a lot here. They're doing incredible work, but it seems like if you're you know you're only focusing on token transfers, like is that a viable fifty hundred year strategy? I, I don't know. I would so, say no. Uh, that's a tough one. Yeah, I'll let you say it. I'm <laughs> so, a little bit biased, though. Yeah, no, I gotta, I gotta have more people on from Cosmos and uh, to to think through it. And I gotta spend a little more time on it myself. But interestingly, it is, interesting. it is Cosmos and Polkadot will be bridged soon, like very early on. So at very least, uh, folks building on Cosmos will be able to access Polkadot if if and when they need uh, need to actually transmit real or not real arbitrary data um, in addition to whatever the the token swap uh, protocol they're building is. That's interesting. Yeah, I got I got to spend more time on Cosmos. So I got to have a better opinion. And uh, it's interesting your comparison between Polkadot and Cosmos. I'm glad we covered that. And so, Peter, we're running through all my questions, which I'm happy about. I'm getting great answers here. But I want to talk more about, I guess, the path to Polkadot on the community side of things. Sure. You guys do have a solid community of you know projects building on you. But on the flip side. I mean, you guys are a large project, so you kind of expect that, you know, valuation-wise, time-wise, thought leadership with GAV-wise, so you expect that. I'm wondering on a relative basis, though, how you can how you think through your larger size with the amount of projects built on you versus other layer ones like, you know, near Solana or others that maybe have a smaller community but also have an absolute number of more projects. I'm not just. I'm just trying to compare you guys on a relative basis. Yeah, if that makes sense. Totally, totally fair comparison. So there's a couple of things. A, thank you. We we've worked quite hard to build a, a global <laughs> community, and we've we've been really excited to see uh, folks joining. We have a really really great uh, ambassador program run out of the Web three Foundation, which has been tremendous. Um, and we, you mentioned Cosmos has 100 projects building on it. I'm guessing that means that those are projects building things on top of Cosmos, not building Cosmos itself. Um, but we're, I think, well over 100 teams and projects uh, building in and around the Polkadot ecosystem uh, already today. Um, the other interesting point here is we've actually done a little bit of analysis to see sort of where our community stands versus other layer ones, like you mentioned, both at their launch and moving forward. And in terms of the folks that are in our chats following us on all the social media platforms, showing up to events and developing on the protocol, we're in a better position than obviously Ethereum 1.0 because the community was, the world was just, the crypto world was just smaller back then, but we have a, a, a comparable community to the Ethereum 1.0 launch in terms of size and excitement. We have a larger uh, community than Tezos had at launch, more than Cosmos, more than most any of these other, uh, and then like the newer ones that you mentioned, obviously were well ahead of, as you mentioned, in part because of the established brand that we already have had in the space. Um, so that's really exciting to see. I think we're in a really good position just in terms of like sheer numbers of people keeping an eye on what we're working on. And the last point I'll make is the uh, distribution of dots at launch is going to be much more decentralized than either Cosmos or Ethereum 1.0 was at launch, talking less whales and more wallets than both. So that's also quite exciting to think about. Yeah, it's pretty. that is pretty exciting to think about. I mean, distribution is kind of everything. I mean, I guess the other point would be how fast Ethereum's distributed its from its whales to its small holders, or if that's, that's happened. I got to look into that. But that would be kind of cool to compare for you guys after you guys launch. Totally. And Peter, just... Thinking about the developer side of things, why would why or you know why are Ethereum devs moving to Polkadot or or if they're not yet, that's you know that's fine, that's a candid answer. If they are, I just want to know why. Like, is it funding? Is it or is it because you guys are faster? Is it technical things? Do they agree with the roadmap or the ethos? Or are they just you know tired of Ethereum? Like, why would people come build on Polkadot? Well, I think there's 
if, if, if nothing else, the Ethereum developer community is quite practical, right? That's why they're not in the Bitcoin community. Um, they understand, <laughs> uh, they understand the realities of the world and that the, the, the likelihood is that we do not live in a future where one chain rules them all. Even if it is maybe five to 10 chains, that's still more than one. That's more than just Ethereum. Ethereum can be a part of that mix, but I think we're seeing a lot of those developers who actually really think about it and sit down and say, hey, like if we're in a multi-chain world, which protocol generally aligns with me ideologically and technologically? And that's quite clearly Polkadot. So we're seeing devs, they're, they're not leaving Ethereum, right? I don't know that folks are going to necessarily think about it in a binary like that in, in the future, but it's really about expanding your skill set, expanding your uh, protocol expertise to prepare for a multi-chain future. Um, so I can totally see a future where developers on their resume say, like, I've implemented four projects on Ethereum, five on Polkadot, two on Tezos, and like, that's part of their resume is like people will want companies will want developers who have expertise in multiple protocols because multiple protocol, different protocols are going to be better potentially at one thing than another. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that and we actually have a very exciting announcement coming up in the next week or so. I wish I could tell you about, but I'll, uh, I'll follow up with your, with your community when we, we put it out. So right along these lines. Yeah, that's, that's interesting to hear. Yeah. I don't think in Ethereum, People are looking to leave anytime soon. I think they've definitely sustained and built, which I kind of love that about the Ethereum community, to be honest. But I mean, you know, I try and look at things from like the research perspective. Like I'm trying to think about what Polkadot looks like when everybody starts building and you get to that, you know, crazy iterative stage. Like everybody compares Ethereum with DeFi and Web3 and there's a lot going on there. I love it, right? I've invested in some of these protocols. I love the progress. But it's not a fair comparison because you guys just launched your mainnet. Like, do you think you'll get that amount of buzz and app level iteration in a quarter totally. of time? Yeah. So that's it's and it, we we raise the same question for Ethereum too, right? Like Ethereum two is not an upgrade; it's a whole new blockchain, um, and all the tooling has to be built again. And the the cross shard communication and the composability isn't gonna just show up on day one. That's You have to build up to that. Um, so yeah, once we get to a point where the tooling is in place for what we call cross-chain applications, rather than just some, some parachains may be singular application chains, like just to do one application. Some chains will be infrastructure chains. So we already have several chains being built that are going to make it really easy for you to launch your own stable coin. We're going to have chains optimized for DeFi. But then once you're actually then able to say, I'm not a blockchain developer, right? You, you're, you're not going to be building a blockchain yourself, but you can compose uh, applications taking pieces from each chain that you're interested in and then build an application front end and and connect them all sort of like pick and mix and match uh, uh, functionality. Like we're definitely building towards that. And again, we all we have is, is what we've seen, the experience to rely on with Ethereum 1.0 and having been through that. Um, so Ethereum 2.0 is going to go through a similar process. We haven't seen any of these quote unquote blockchain 3.0 protocols really go through these paces. So a little bit of an unknown, but I think the best comparison might be looking at the way the development process for Ethereum evolved from day one, which it wasn't much, to now having DeFi today. That's interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean, I've had on Ryan Zer, I've had on Jack Platts from Polkadot, like I've had on a couple of your colleagues, and it's great to hear how you guys have like grown and evolved in such a short amount of time. The other thing is, you know, and I love having you on because you answered these questions so candidly. Um, but Peter, how do you think about like image, like how do you think about brand image and community, right? Like, I mean, there's arguably been some, you know, mishaps at at parity, you know, depending on which side of the table you're sitting on and and what your view is. But how do you think through that? Because in my mind, it seems like you guys have grown out of those issues, but there's always like a sour taste from some people or, or, you know, I'm probably answering this question around the bush, but it's, it's a good question, right? Um, Obviously, there's a some animosity held in the Ethereum community because folks might feel that Gav abandoned Ethereum, which isn't really quite true. He's still 
he, he built the thing. He still, he still loves it. Um, but it's tough to have a development team of, of parodies quality, not be in, in the mix. Uh, I would say that, uh, the strongest tools are forged in fire. Um, I think that having issues, having missteps and, and learning from them and growing is an incredibly important uh, factor for both a company and a protocol and a community. And we've been through it and we've come through the other side. So uh, yeah, Peter, that, I've mentioned this on people that, you know, most of these projects have never had any issues and that's, you know, led to the issue. community not yeah. being hardened. Yeah. It's yeah. a huge issue. Yes. Devs like to say we're anti-fragile, which is, <laughs> I guess, dev speak for strong um, and, and able to put up with all the, all the turmoil when it, when it strikes. Right. So that's not just on the technical level going back you know, to the Ethereum days, the Shanghai attacks, uh, the DAO hack, DevOps 199, like we've been through a lot of these issues and it, we've learned from them, right? Big thing about Polkadot that differentiates it from Ethereum 2.0 is governance. Because our team, because Gab and Yuta and the devs have been through really sticky, difficult uh, governance issues, trying to fix things on Ethereum and realizing that be- the lack of formalized governance means that there is no there is no safety net there is no way to fix bugs and we know from software development there will be bugs there's no way around writing you, you the idea that you can write purely bug free code all the time it's a it's a misnomer it's it's not true so you need a way to fix things and that's why polkadot has uh, really robust on chain governance um, and that's a direct learning from having spent so much time dealing with the issues in ethereum that's interesting. Um, yeah, I guess I have one higher level question for you there. So I was looking over Danny Ryan's ETH 2.0 update. One of the things that I really liked about his update was they're trying to build it so that you can have you know tens of thousands of validators. So basically, you have the world's you know view and consensus and opinion you know influencing the direction of 2.0. And I really liked that. But with you guys, you know dot holders have a say and they could time lock their dots i believe and and get more voting power but you guys also have a council so you guys are obviously more concentrated and i'm not saying centralized cuz it's not but you guys are more concentrated on your your governance do you think that you guys are towing the right line here between hey we need to have a bit more centralized so we could move faster and upgrade and you know not everybody even understands the code or do you think that it's better to have that global base or are you going to have both yeah well I, we do have a global base. We can get into the specifics about whether having tens of thousands of validators is necessary or even correct, considering you can run a thousand validators on one computer. But in terms of like that's the, a good point. Yeah, in terms of the so Polkadot theoretically, a single Polkadot relay chain. I think the research shows should have around a thousand validators. That's something like a hundred per parachain, um, and then from there we can launch numerous other polka dots so like you can have multiple polka dots running in parallel talking to each other so that's maybe polka dot 3.0 but i would i would make the point that having on-chain governance and a council does not make a project more centralized and i predict that in the next five years not having robust open on-chain governance is going to be looked upon as being more centralized than not because We've seen it in Ethereum and we see in other networks when there is no formalized governance. We see it in Bitcoin where a couple people at uh, Blockstack have the commit rights to to the Bitcoin oh, for uh, Blockstream. Uh, Blockstream, excuse, excuse me. Yep. Uh, like, right, like there's no Bitcoin governance, but there's a couple of devs that have the commit, the, the merge and commit rights to the to the GitHub repo. Like that's governance right there. And that's highly centralized. Um, obviously, they can't just push changes to change the protocol because everyone would freak out, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't if they wanted to. By putting the power in the hands of the people through the ownership of their tokens, you are a more decentralized protocol. The council is voted on from the dot holding community by the dot holding community and rotates constantly. So we're experimenting with a lot of, uh, I don't want to say it's completely new concepts because a lot of them are based on democratic uh, structures in in the real world, but bringing them on chain and actually also doing things like you mentioned with conviction voting to smooth out the, uh, the, the curve in terms of empowering minorities to be able to speak with strong conviction on their values. So I think in the long term, having that as a 
core tenant in the social contract of your protocol is going to be seen as actually more decentralized than relying on a slightly edited version of the Bitcoin improvement process, which is a slightly edited version of the Python improvement process, which was implemented in Bitcoin by Amir Taki because they just needed to figure out a way to get some changes in, right? So it wasn't really thought out that much in the Bitcoin sense. It was taken from Python, which I think you know, it, it wasn't built for blockchain governance, right? It was just an op- open source governance little process. That's a that's a really interesting take, Peter. So basically, and I haven't heard that before. So basically what you're saying is, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line when blockchains are, you know, ubiquitous around the world, that the fact that you have an off-chain governance system like Ethereum, you know, that people would rather voice their opinion through voting dots than trying to get in on an all-core devs call or trying to, you know, write on ETH magicians or, or something like that. Is, that. is that basically what you're saying? Yeah. When you default to just pure social interaction for figuring out the decision-making in your process, uh, a lot of people lose agency. They, a lot of people feel like they have no say over the future of the protocol. And a lot of people resort, when people feel like they don't have agency, what do they do? They're out in the streets. They're shouting on Twitter. Um, so we, we really f- aim to give dot holders agency over the future of the protocol they own. That's, that's super interesting. Yeah. I like that. So how is, um, I, I mean, I, I like the view. I'm, I'm interested to see it, how it plan pays out or plays out in the future. It's definitely really interesting to think about though. And the other thing is a lot of people are comparing on and off chain governance, like they're two different flavors, but the, I always thought of on-chain governance just as a formalized process for enacting changes, not yes. as like a total difference. What, what do you think there? Yeah. Uh, the, that's, that's the key, the key fact, right? The, the Ethereum governance uh, nerds get all worked up when I say things like binding governance, because they think that's a scary thing, but binding governance is the only way that you actually have legitimacy in that governance. Because if you can all vote in a coin vote, right? Uh, about on the DAO hack, but the actual final sort of say is Vitalik says this is okay. And then there's like this veto power that miners have at the end to say like, yeah, I don't really want to. And people can just sort of fork off in whichever direction. That's heavily community split splitting and and dangerous for these for these communities long term. You need to have binding autonomous enactment on chain in order to have legitimacy in a governance process. So you're completely right. It's, it's in order to remove that, uh, that the, the onus is on those who would want to fork the chain because they disagree rather than the default being, they just can sit there, not upgrade their software and the chain is forked, right? Because they're the mi- minority voice. They shouldn't have this just like automatic veto at the end when the majority of the community wants to go in one direction. So yeah, the autonomous That's binding, uh, yeah, the autonomous binding functionality is really critical. Um, for for these networks. And Polkadot is actually the first to have this full autonomous binding on-chain upgrade path. Tezos is the next closest, but there's still sort of a break in the chain there so that uh, folks could, if they wanted to, go in a different direction. Interesting stuff, Peter. And not to harp on this, but I want to get your take on it. So for, a lot of people think that to be successful as a layer one, you have to grow, I guess, through the Ethereum community, right? Like you got to beat them. You got to attract their devs. Do you feel the same opinion or do you feel that you guys will actually be able to attract developers outside the system, outside the world and grow in tandem or above Ethereum? Like, how do you view that? Like, do you have to grow through, you know, the creator here or like, what are you thinking about that? Yeah. A couple points. One, obviously we grew up with the Ethereum community. We were there in the form of Gav since almost day one. So we understand the community. We've, we're still a part of the Ethereum community and we, 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 we know a lot of people in the Ethereum community. So on that level, it's different from like a EOS or someone trying to like, you know, come in and say they're going to take all these people. We're, we're not of that mindset. The other point I'll make is Ethereum, they're talking about application developers on Ethereum. They're all the way on the left, if you think about like the types of developers and blockchain on a spectrum, all the way on the left is smart contracts and all the way on the right is like build your own blockchain from the ground up. It's easier, faster to deploy a 
smart contract implementation of something on Ethereum, lower barrier to entry for developers to learn solidity and just get started. Building your own blockchain, on the other hand, is very, very hard. It requires a lot of devs, it requires networking experts, it requires cryptography experts, a big, big team. With Polkadot, we're trying to create, in some sense, a new class of developer somewhere in the middle, where you don't need to know everything to launch your own chain, but you can still benefit from the optimizations that come along with doing that. So by using Substrate, the blockchain building framework we put together at Parity, Basically, everything we've learned about building blockchains since Gav uh, launched Ethereum is in this framework, and a qualified dev can take it and launch their own chain that is optimized for a use case more so than a smart contract cluster could on Ethereum without having to find a peer-to-peer networking expert and find a cryptography expert and all these other people that you need to hire to like build your own chain from the ground up. So we've taken care of the far right of the spectrum and we're hoping to create this middle ground, this sort of Goldilocks zone where you can build an optimized chain for your use case um, that's more powerful, has more throughput, has more connectivity than a smart contract cluster uh, rather than just being like a Ethereum or a smart contract devs. Uh, so to speak. That's interesting. Peter, I don't get this level of depth and insight and normal candid conversation about Polkadot on Twitter because there's just so much yelling and it's just like impossible to understand a narrative in three tweets. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing Absolutely. you know, such detailed info. It's awesome. Thanks for Peter, having me. Peter, where could, um, of course, where do people follow you to find out more or check out Polkadot or if they're a dev, where do they go? Where can people learn more? Sure. So definitely check out the at Polkadot Network Twitter account. Uh, we join our Telegram channel. All the info uh, should be there on our on our uh, Twitter. Definitely sign up for email updates. We get a lot of this this the same content detail on on what what's going on to our email subscribers. And then you can follow me on Twitter at p a m a u r i c. Looking forward to that's talking awesome. To y'all. Yeah, I'll have uh, for everyone listening. Thing. Just scroll down. You could follow Peter, follow Polkadot. There's be a link to their Telegram channel to you can stay up to date. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode out soon. <laughs>